0: Hello, you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host of Boondocks Medicine, Dr. Andrew Krakowski. With me today is Dr. Barry Cunningham, a pediatric dermatologist from Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Cunningham. It's wonderful to be here, Andrew. Well, Today we're discussing zero pigmentosum in a small town in Guatemala. So as someone who's actually never been to Guatemala, I have to ask, how does a pediatric dermatologist from San Diego get invited to go to Guatemala?
1: Well, I have several patients who have xeroderma pigmentosum, XP. And as such, I was lucky enough to be included in the foundation of a family support group, which is uh, nationally based, called the XP Family Support Group. And this is a group of individuals, most of whom have affected children with XP, who started an organization to provide financial support, emotional support, and practical support for individuals and their families who are affected with XP. And as such, being on the medical advisory board for this family support group, when this group learned of a group of individuals in Guatemala who are affected with XP, they, being as compassionate and humanistic as they are, their hearts were just breaking hearing about all these individuals in this tiny village in Guatemala. And they decided that they would like to send a scouting team to Guatemala to scout out how bad it was, how severe the condition was, what the environment was like, and really assess the medical and social and humanitarian needs of this community. So they contacted me and asked if I would be willing to travel to this remote village in Guatemala and do just that, do a scouting mission. And I have a lot of interest in XP, and I'm very interested in Central America, and it was sort of a dream come true for me to be invited on this mission.
0: Well that's fascinating. How did you prepare? I mean, how did someone prepare for a trip to a third world country? One of the poorest, I think, in in the world, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Well the first thing I did was contact you, Andrew. <laughs> 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 and uh your expertise with wilderness medicine definitely came into play. And I am very grateful for all your assistance. But I did do some research on the internet and I contacted some individuals who have traveled to Guatemala and contacted the CDC website and got up to date on all my immunizations, malaria, prophylaxis, etc.
0: And you were able to do that right up to, I mean, you you only found out about the trip, what, a, a couple of weeks beforehand? Yeah,
1: I think I learned of the mission three or four weeks prior to our departure. So it was a very condensed kind of time frame. and. I was able to get everything done under the wire. I think I began doing all the medical stuff about two weeks prior to departure, and it was right under the wire.
0: And when did you actually leave? What what time of year was it?
1: I left on the 4th of July.
0: Which is also?
1: My birthday. Uh-huh. And it was a, a little birthday present to myself to be able to participate in this mission. And I would have to say it was the best present I've ever received. And we were gone for approximately one week.
0: So you left with a scouting team. Who else was a member of the scouting team?
1: There were five individuals who traveled to Guatemala. All of us were American. There was myself being the only physician. And then there was another member of the advisory board, Desley Beckman, who lives in Sacramento. Her high school daughter, who has a special interest in XP, obviously at a very young age, she's a very impressive young lady. And Elise and Desley Beckman, myself, another individual from North Carolina, Phelps Lambert, And he is a graduate student whose parents both are uh, world experts in xeroderma pigmentosum. And then lastly, the fifth individual was Peggy Tuttle, who's the executive director for Good Samaritan International. And she's really the major liaison for us in the United States to this village in Guatemala. She's been going there for over 10 years and has established relationships with the families and really, really has a bond, and the families have a lot of trust in her.
0: And how did Miss Tuttle get involved with this project?
1: Um, she's been doing humanitarian missions for a number of years all over the world, but her heart really is in Central America and particularly in Guatemala. It's not to say that XP is her only interest, but as this story unraveled, it became clear to her that the need in this village with these families with XP really trumped any of the other needs that she was involved with. And she subsequently now is really devoting all of her time to these children in this village with XP, and it's her full-time passion.
0: And as I understand it, you were actually the first U.S. medical team to come to this enclave?
1: That's correct. There was actually a medical student, Jean Tang, who we owe a debt of gratitude to because she really was— the first sort of pseudo-medical professional. She was a medical student, as I said, at the time, but she traveled there several years ago and was able to extract blood from these families and um, was instrumental in getting that blood to the United States. And subsequently, Jim Cleaver at UC San Francisco was able to identify the gene for XPC through her work. But this was the first mission where we physically went and provided medical care, and therapy to them.
0: So, Dr. Cunningham, how do you get physically to this village in Guatemala?
1: Well, it's incredibly remote. Uh, It's not as if you can get online and go to united.com and book a flight to Camp, Guatemala. It's closest to Guatemala City, so you can fly a commercial airliner to Guatemala City, obviously, but getting from Guatemala City to the village is incredibly treacherous and difficult. The easiest way to do it is if the weather cooperates, you can charter a small single-engine Cessna from Guatemala City and fly directly to Barrios, which is a village approximately two or three hours from Yumel Camp. But in most instances, particularly during the rainy season, that's not a viable option. And one must drive 12 to 17 hours through the jungle. There's no paved road, so you take four-wheel drive through jeeps through the jungle to this village and go from there. So it's, it's a very difficult journey. We're also very limited in terms of the medical and humanitarian equipment we can bring because whether you drive in a four-wheel drive Jeep or you fly in a single-engine Cessna with weight limits, you're really limited in terms of what you can get in and out of the village. And that becomes problematic when we're looking towards
0: future missions. What did you bring with you this time?
1: We brought a variety of medical and humanitarian equipment. Most of the things that we brought in were related to the children who had XP. So we brought $18,000 worth of medication. We brought antibiotics. We brought pain medication. We brought sunscreen, sunglasses, sun protective clothing. We brought toys for the children. We brought portable CD players for the children who are blind and bedridden. We brought a whole variety of different equipment and supplies. We also brought surgical equipment as well.
0: And what sort of medications did you have in, in mind when you packed for this trip?
1: Everything that I brought was it was an inadequate amount. I mean, I, I completely underestimated the need there medically and socially. But what we brought was antibiotics. We brought um, multivitamins, prenatal vitamins, as I said, sunscreen, and some topical products that can help prevent skin cancers from developing in photo-damaged skin.
0: And what did you think when you first got off the plane?
1: I was struck, first of all, by the physical beauty of the place. It's, as I said, so remote. There's a lot of vegetation. It's very lush. It's very jungle-like. It's a physically beautiful location. It's very, very mountainous. So first of all, I was struck by that. I was also, of course, flying the single-engine Cessna, into the side of a mountain was quite an interesting experience. There's no um, landing strip. There's no uh, airport. um, There's not even an individual there to greet you. Uh, We just landed in the middle of literally nowhere in the jungle where some brush had been
0: cleared. The upside of that is there's no delay by air traffic control, (laughs) I guess.
1: Um, But right away, upon exiting the little Cessna, it became apparent that we were going to have a very positive experience because from the mountains, children were just streaming down the mountains to the landing strip, literally. And we were greeted by, you know, 50 children in colorful Guatemalan textiles, you know, with open arms and big smiles on their face. And the word had traveled that, you know, the American doctors and the American team was coming to help them.
0: And what was the reception there like for— A group of visiting Americans.
1: We're very indebted to the work of Peggy Tuttle because, as I mentioned, she has been visiting this village for many years and has a long-standing relationship with many of the families in this village. So the fact that Peggy was traveling with us was really invaluable in our efforts. And we owe a debt of gratitude to Peggy because if it weren't for Peggy and all of her years of service to these individuals, there's no possible way they would have let us in. They're incredibly private and there's no way they would let a group of strangers in to examine them.
0: It's actually interesting that you use the term private. It sounds like socially, but also physically The village itself is isolated. Yes. And and that, as I understand it, has led to part of the problem that's there now. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. So it's felt that the village being so remote and so isolated is both responsible for there being such an inordinately high number of individuals affected with XP in this remote village. So it's felt that 100 years ago when the two founder families settled in this area, unbeknownst to them and unfortunately for them, they were both carriers Of the disease XP. They didn't show any overt signs of it. They didn't know that they were carriers, but they were. And as those two families uh, reproduced and married and had offspring who then were carriers to various degrees and reproduced, this gene was carried through many, many generations of families in this village. And this is a village that the average number of offspring any woman will have is nine to 16. So if one family has The gene for it and is carrying it and has one offspring, they have a 25% chance of having another individual who's carrying this gene. And so you can imagine with that many children being affected in one family, it's really a tremendous burden.
0: And when you got there as a pediatric dermatologic surgeon with the daunting task of knowing that you're going to hopefully treat and manage some of these children's conditions, but I have to imagine from someone who normally works in an operating room where sterility is king... I mean, what are what are we talking about when you're looking around? What are you seeing as a surgeon? Yeah.
1: Infection, infection, <laughs> infection. No, it, it definitely, you know, you have to really, really shift your paradigm and your expectations and your standards and everything is completely thrown on end because uh, we do take for granted all of the advantages medically that we have in the United States and those are not present there. So we're talking about working in environments where there's dirt floors, where there's excrement and there's insects and there's no such thing as sterility.
0: There's no such thing as electricity. There's
1: no such thing as electricity. We did not have clean running water in the village. There was some limited running water, but it was certainly not usable for our purposes, and you could not obviously drink it. And so it's, it's very remote. No electricity, no running water in a very
0: primitive location. And from a social perspective, also, once again— Isolated because of the language, if I understand. Is that correct? It's not a Spanish speaking population that we're talking about here.
1: Right. But many of the communities in this region of Guatemala are uh, Mayan in origin and descendants of the Mayan civilizations. And so they speak a dialect in this particular region of Guatemala called Conjabal dialect. But as one might imagine, there's absolutely no similarity between the Mayan dialect, Conjabal dialect, and Spanish. So, you know, if you go to say italy and you can speak spanish you might be able to pick out one every you know fifth word and and there's some similarities because they're derived from similar languages but there's absolutely no similarity and you can't communicate with these individuals even if you're fluent in spanish
0: well i want to thank dr barry cunningham from rady children's hospital of san diego who's been our guest today we've been discussing zero derma pigmentosum and actually just heard a little bit about landing in guatemala and seeing through her eyes what the living conditions were for the small town that she'd be working in. For more information on xeroderma Pigmatosum or the efforts underway to help the people suffering from this condition, please email Barry Cunningham at bcunningham, that's B-C-U-N-N-I-N-G-H-A-M at rchsd.org rchsd.org stands for Rady Children's Hospital San Diego. You can also learn more about the XP Family Support Group by visiting xpfamilysupport.org I'm Dr. Andrew Krakowski, your host of Clinician's Roundtable, Boondocks Medicine. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you for listening. And remember, when you're out there, be there.